Well, good morning and welcome, Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you with us on this first week of November. Uh, we're glad that you're here for the beginning of this holiday season, and we're glad that you're in Quakertown with us. Probably noticing in the video, we're starting a new series today. We're calling the series Out for Delivery. And some of you are probably thinking, why Out for Delivery? What's that mean? Well, here's what it means. We live in a day and an age when it's pretty easy to track stuff. But that hasn't always been the case. Let me explain. How many of you have ever placed an order for something online that was then delivered to your house? Raise your hand. All right, everybody in here, pretty much. Well, interestingly, in our world, when you place that order and then you're impatient, so it hasn't arrived in an hour or two, and you're wondering where it is, or it doesn't come in a day or two, and you're wondering where it is, you can actually go online and track it. If you have the right system, you go to a little barcode, or you can punch in the number, and the, the computer will tell you when it was shipped, where it is right now, and the date and time it will arrive at your door. But it wasn't always that way. Not too long ago, when you would place an order, you had no idea no, of knowing when it would come. In the ancient world, there wasn't even something like the mail system. And so there was a great delay in purchasing something or asking for it and then receiving it. Well, when it comes to issues related to Christmas, it really was that way. God continually made promises in the Old Testament. I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to fix what's broken in this world. I'm going to send the rightful king. He's going to come. And they waited and waited and nothing seemed to happen. And people were just as impatient back then as we are today. And they waited and they were getting frustrated. And God would send reminders. And God would send little signposts and say, hey, don't get too frustrated. Don't allow your impatience to take over. It's coming. The solution's coming. Well, what we're going to do for the month of November, we're going to look at some of those reminders, some of those signposts from the Old Testament that tell us the solution's coming, the remedy's coming, Christmas is coming. Well, we're going to start this morning all the way at the beginning. And the reason we have to start at the beginning is because if you don't know God's original intention, you can't understand Christmas. You can't jump into the middle of the story without knowing the beginning of the story and expect to know what's going on. So we're going to start all the way at the beginning, where it all began. So that should be pretty easy to find in your Bible, all the way at the beginning in Genesis. If you're on your phone or with your tablet, go to Genesis, and we're going to look at where it all began. And by understanding God's original intention, we can understand how Christmas fits into the big story. But in order to do that, let's talk a little bit about design and default. Do you live more by design or by default? Do you live on purpose or by the path of least resistance? Do you determine where you want to go and you marshal your resources and set your priorities and move to that destination? Or do you just kind of take life as it comes? You know, kind of Take advantage of this, take advantage of that. Minute by minute, whatever's feeling good, deciding like that. Huh, do you live by design or by default? I've got a couple questions to ask you. Here's one. Have you ever been in a situation where you never manage your money? You have no savings account. You don't keep track of your spending. You don't have a budget. You never pay off your credit card bills on time. No, you just kind of go along financially. And one day you wake up and you're a millionaire. 
Unless you have an uncle that died and you didn't know had a lot of money, uh, that doesn't happen that way. You don't live by default when it comes to finance and wake up rich. That's not how it works. How about this one? You never work out. You've never seen the inside of a gym. You never exercise. You do what you feel like doing. You spend most evenings in the Lazy Boy, eating Doritos and Oreos, watching football, enjoying life as it comes. And one morning you wake up and decide you're going to run the New York Marathon and you win. How often does that happen? Never. That's how often that happens. How about this one? You're single. You never bathe. <laughs> never shower. You never deodorize. Never brush your teeth. Never comb your hair. And one week you show up at Calvary Church and you're met with a few members of the opposite sex waiting at the door asking if they can just be near you because they love you and they appreciate your smell. <laughs> that never happens, right? How about one a little more... Uh, a little more practical. You never do preventative maintenance on your car, ever. Never change the oil, never tune it up, never rotate the tires. And one day somebody asks you if he could use your car to run the next NASCAR race. Doesn't happen, right? You don't live by default and get to a, an ex, a destination that is a positive one and one you wanted. You have to live by design in order to get to a destination of your choosing. Does God live by design or by default? Does God just kind of go through life, whatever he feels like doing today, he does today? Or? No, God lives by design. And since God lives by design, and we know he's sovereign and he's loving, if we know something about the original design, we will know something about the ultimate destination. And if we know something about the original design and the ultimate destination, you'll understand how Christmas fits in the mix. But if you don't understand the original design and you don't understand the ultimate destination, Christmas will just be something that you enjoy with family but never understand in terms of the big story. So let's talk uh, about the design. The design all the way from the beginning. We're told in Genesis 1, the first verse of the Bible, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So out of this chaotic mess, God creates and he creates according to design. He's got kind of a blueprint that he wants to follow. And as the ultimate part of that, as the capstone, the climax of creation, he created us. He created human beings. And here's what it says in the, in the middle of chapter one concerning human beings. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they will rule over the fish in the sea, of, in the sea and the birds in the air over the livestock and over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, human beings, people, you and me, we're part of God's original design. We're not an afterthought to God. In fact, the Bible's crystal clear. God created us as the climax of creation. That's a good thing to know. Well, let's uh, play with that a little bit and tease out some of the details. Do you know that part of that original creation and God's original design was that he would give us bodies, bodies. Now, I know at times your body can frustrate you and you look at it, you don't appreciate everything about it, but your body is part of God's original design. I did a little... Uh, Google research this week, just to kind of help you uh, get the point. 
And so here's some facts about your body you probably don't know. If we were to take your blood vessels in your body, not somebody else, in your body, and we were to lay your blood vessels end to end, think about this, the blood vessels in your body would circle the earth four times. That's a lot of piping, right? I mean, the blood vessels in your body, my, they would encircle the earth four times. Do you know that your belly button grows special hair designed to trap lint? Did you know that? I don't know, but my belly button's working just fine, right? And if you ever go to the beach, you say, I mean, belly buttons work fine, but special hairs are in your belly button and their job is to collect lint. God did it. God designed it that way. He knew we'd wear shirts and we need to kind of put the lint thing in. That's what he did. Here's another one. The human heart in an average lifetime will beat over 3 billion times. If you live an average lifespan, your heart will beat over 3 billion times. It can't take an hour off, can't take vacation, can't kind of check out for a little while. 3 billion times without missing a minute or you wouldn't be here. That's amazing, right? That's part of God's original design. It's not by accident. He did that on purpose. You know, the average person will produce enough, as much saliva in a lifetime to fill two big swimming pools. And that's before flu season. Like, you need to get a flu shot, by the way. But, I mean, the saliva that you produce, some of you are grossed out. I know. You could fill two swimming pools with that saliva in a lifetime. The average human being has enough fat in his or her body to make seven bars of soap. Here's a gross one. <laughs> Humans shed about 600,000 particles of skin every hour. That means a lot of you is left in this auditorium when you leave. We just want you to know. <laughs> and the cleaning force, would it, with the cleaning team would appreciate if you take yourself with you when you go. 600,000 particles of skin shed every hour by every one of us. That body is designed by God. He's given it to us. And we often look down at it and complain about it. We body shame each other. You know, all kinds of eating disorders and problems in our work. God created these bodies. He designed it. And he looks at us and says, your bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. I built it. Every age spot, every gray hair, every no hair, every wrinkle, every flaw that you see is just as God designed. Be thankful for that and be thankful for the body God's given others rather than look down and criticize and only complain. Bodies are part of God's original intention, not an afterthought, not a default, from the original piece. Oh, yeah. And your body is on loan from God. Suppose you were to borrow a friend's car for a week. Something's up with your car, you got to borrow. How would you treat their car? You'd take care of it and you'd respect it. How are you doing with your body that's on loan from God? Taking care of that, respecting that? Um, 
Here's a principle the Bible speaks of often. Sabbath, you know what that means? Rest, rest. How are you doing with the rest thing? Or are you running on overdrive every minute of every day and every night? You're always on duty. It wasn't designed to be that way. Are you living according to the original intention or are you kind of mixed up in the middle somewhere? You know what I always find that kind of incredible? Human beings were made, if you read through Genesis 1, human beings were created on the sixth day. What did God do and what did God have the human beings do on the seventh day? Isn't that interesting? The first thing he has us do is rest. Creation, now rest. It's almost as if God wants to say, look, I've got this thing handled, all right? Don't get in my way, just rest. God can handle this. He doesn't need our overdrive schedules. He doesn't need our expenditure of energy. The first thing God says, just a reminder to let you know, I've got this thing handled. The very first day you're here, don't go out work. Just rest the first day. Remember who I am. I've got life handled. How about this one? Not just rest. What do you use to fuel that body? Sorry. You know, I always kind of um, find some people's prayers interest, sometimes mine. You ever notice that people will sometimes sit down in front of lard and grease and fat and sugar and thank God for this food? Always wondering what God's thinking. What? Like, what? <laughs> um, now, I'm not saying, you know, only eat healthy things that don't taste good. Um, I'm saying, but you've got to have some good fuel to the body that God loaned you for a little while. It needs a little rest and it needs a little good fuel. And by the way, don't go shaming other people's body and thank God for your body. Bodies are part of God's original creation, not an afterthought, not a default piece. We have the bodies we have on loan from God as part of his original creation. That's pretty amazing, right? Here's one that we mix up as well. Do you know that work was part of the original intention? Here's, here's how it says it in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Just for biblical reference, sin shows up in Genesis 3. Work shows up in Genesis 1 and 2. Work is not part of the problem. Work is part of the original intention. Some people think that, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 is kind of like a retirement community in Florida. No, it's not. They were working. And notice a garden is different from a jungle. A jungle is by default. A garden is by design. God puts Adam and Eve in a garden with this mission. Take care of it. Work it. Take what I've made and make it better. Take what's good and make it very good. We, we could say it like this in our world. Take what's good and make it for the common good. Do you know all good work is for the common good? If you work on an assembly line, your work is benefiting someone's efficiency and effectiveness. If you work in the construction world, you're providing shelter for people. If you work in the food business or the agricultural business, you're providing food and sustenance for people. If you're a teacher or an educator, you're helping people learn more about the world and they can live more in sync with it. All good work is for the common good. That goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. But the problem is we often work for the wrong boss. Do you ever know that? Sometimes we work for the wrong boss. Is your boss a 
pain in your neck or a pain somewhere else? Is your manager, team leader always on your case? Are your employees frustrating and really irritating to you? Maybe we're working for the wrong boss. I have a small group that meets Friday mornings and we were talking about work and how God wants work to go. And this one guy said, I read a book recently about, um, the thesis of the book was, why does it seem through history that Jewish folks have often risen through the ranks to the position of leadership and the accumulation of stuff? Why does that happen? The thesis of the book was because Jewish people ultimately see themselves as working for God, not for their company or their boss. I know that that's true when it comes to what's been called the Protestant work ethic. The Protestant work work ethic, where you kind of rest on the Sabbath, but you apply yourself diligently when you're working. It's the same principle. So who is your boss? Is your boss the guy who tells you what to do and you hate his guts or her guts? Is your boss the person that's managing you and infringing on your time? Or are you working for God? Are you working for Jesus? Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you sweep streets, whether you work on an assembly line, whether you work producing for something for someone else, whether you work in a classroom, whether you're a student in school, who are you working for? The principle of Genesis 1 and 2, the original intention, God wants us to work for the common good, to take what's good and make it very good, but we do that ultimately according to his direction, under his authority. So how does it work to make the good very good? It works like this. Eggs are good. Eggs Benedict are very good. (laughs) Grapes are good. Wine is, well, you can answer that. Wheat is good. Cinnabon is very good, right? So when we work, we take what's good and we make it very good, just like God does in the garden. So bodies and work, part of God's original intention. Here's another one. Community, relationship. Um, Got a slide here that talks about relationship. The Lord God said, sin's not in the world yet. Sin doesn't show up till Genesis 3. But in Genesis 2, God says, it's not good. Something's not good. God made something, and it's not good yet. What's not good? It's not good to be alone. Do you know one of the, maybe the biggest problem that people experience in our world today is loneliness and isolation. And your phone doesn't count as relationship and community, by the way. Living in relationship with people, living in community with people. The saddest conversations I have, the saddest emails that I read, the saddest correspondences that I have are people that feel isolated and lonely, apart from other people. They don't have somebody to share the down times with or the celebration and good times with. They don't have somebody to walk beside them. They're all alone and isolated. We weren't designed for that. And I'll tell you why, theologically. Christianity is different from every other religion and every other worldview because of this reason. We were built for community because we're created in the image of community. Relationship is not something we do. Relationship is who we are. Because when God made us in his image, remember, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a community. 
loving and knowing each other in that relationship that we fully can't understand. We're creating the image of community, therefore we were built for community. And when you live isolated, when you're trying to live alone or you're living alone, it's not good. God says you need to be in community, in relationship. And that's hard these days, right? But I'll tell you one thing, it's not only hard, it's impossible without a plan. Um, periodically I do weddings, I, I did a wedding. Uh, last weekend. And it's always kind of surprised me. A couple comes up and, you know, they're all kind of excited and they're looking forward to this day and they're going to a honeymoon. It's great. And I just say, just wait, just wait. Um, and I usually speak to uh, something about the plan at the wedding to say, now look, you're here and here's what you may be thinking. If you try to do this marriage by default, it's not going to work. And you will soon be isolated. You will soon break each other's hearts. You'll be irritated, ticked off at each other. You need a design. You need a plan. And if you don't have a plan, it's never going to work. Well, do you have a plan for community? Do you have a plan for not being alone, but living out who you are? Living in relationship and community? We were built for community because we're made in the image of community. Well, you know, the overarching um, aspect of who we are as God's original intention, we're to live in relationship with him. So let me read the first part of a couple verses from Genesis 3. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We'll stop there. Isn't that an interesting picture? You know, walks are still pretty common, right? And Almost, you know, throughout human history, people would walk together. Nothing like walking and having a conversation. You're not running, we say you're out of breath. You're not competing against each other. You're not attacking one another. You're not wrestling. You're just walking. You have something in common and you're sharing. What do you think God and Adam and Eve talked about on these walks? I don't know. Maybe talked about their work. Hey, how are you guys doing in the garden? What's your work on today? Show it to me. I'd like to see it. And maybe God would kind of evaluate. I really like that. You move those plants over there, that's a good thing, yeah. Um, maybe you talked about their relation. How are you guys doing? Are you sharing with one another the way we share in these walks, you know, communicating with each other? Um, how are your bodies working out? Things are okay? And no problems yet? Good, we're moving along. They had these casual conversations every day. The picture is one of harmony. The picture is relationship. The picture is we're together on a journey, enjoying each other's company. But let me keep reading. This day God comes for his walk and they hid from the Lord God. They hid among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You know, they're some of the saddest words in the Bible. God shows up for his walk and Adam and Eve are hiding rather than meeting him for the walk. Something happened. Something disrupted their relationship. And so God eventually has a conversation, and he says, uh, yeah, I came for my walk, and you guys weren't here. And so Adam says, yeah, we didn't want to come because we didn't have the right clothes. In fact, we didn't have any clothes, and so we don't want Hmm, who told you to have any clothes? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And Adam says, well, you know, that woman... That you gave me. She, and the woman's no better. She, well, you know, the serpent that you led into the garden, he's the one that messed this whole thing up. And the whole process of distortion 
begins to happen. Disruption and everything is destroyed. So let's walk through the big four. Bodies now get sick, get disease, decay, fall apart, and die. That was not part of the original intention. In fact, if you go back and read the first couple chapters, the original intention is that Adam and Eve would not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but they'd eat from the tree of life. And they'd live and live and their bodies wouldn't die and wouldn't decay and wouldn't get sick and wouldn't get diseased. The original intentions, but they live and live and live and their bodies wouldn't decay, but they eat from the wrong tree and bodies now suffer and decay and disintegrate and there's a downside that a slope and bodies are affected. I know that you know it's bodies are affected. Here's a little, a little test. You can, and nothing wrong with the test, but here's a little test. The next time you're in a group of people, small group, home group, whatever, you were just with a group of friends, and prayer requests are shared, what percentage of the prayer requests will be around bodies? I'd be willing to bet more than 50%. Physical ailments, physical problems, diseases, illnesses, bad diagnosis from doctors, people decaying, and people looking forward or looking at death in the near future. Hmm. We don't need any more evidence. The fact that bodies are part of the disruption. How about work? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you just love work. Why do you think they call it work? Because none of us like it, right? Um, I, I was talking to a friend yesterday, and he said, isn't it interesting? None of the kids that I, none of my kids, they really want to work. But I say to them, well, you like that car that you're driving? And you like the nice stuff your parents are giving you? You got to work in order to get that. Work is like the nasty means that gets you to the end that you want. But notice, work is the nasty means. Yeah, that's all part of the problem and consequence of sin. Here's how it's described in Genesis 3. It used to be at Adam and Eve in the garden. They're gardeners, right? Taking care of the farm. There were no thorns and thistles, were no weeds, no forces working against them in their work. But part of the consequence of sin is now works a pain. Now weeds grow. <clears throat> Even if you don't water them and take care of them, they just keep growing. We got thorns and thistles. There are forces at work against you in your work. And every one of us in this room know it. Work is discouraging and work causes you to worry. And work causes your body to decay and decline faster. Work's terrible. But work's part of the original intention. But oh, it got so disrupted in this sin mess, right? How about community? Oh, yeah, that gets destroyed. Now, misunderstanding is normal rather than an aberrant occurrence. We misunderstand, we miscommunicate, people irritate us, they tick us off. And if you add that to the work piece, we're ticked off at people at work and we don't get along with this and our spouses do this and our children cause that and our parents did this to us and relationships are tough. It's all part of the disruption. The original intention is that your body would be fine and healthy forever and that work is a good thing in which God is our boss and Jesus is our manager and community and relationships are great and they're flourishing and they're good. And our relationship with God is intact and it's one. Yeah, but that's not happening anymore either, right? In fact, the whole story of the Bible, beginning in Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation, it's a story of God seeking to reconnect with us. 
So here's what happens. God came for his evening walk in the garden. Well, Adam and Eve decided they had a better plan. Now sin's consequences come and they get thrown out of the garden. And God places an angel at the front of the garden with a flaming sword. In other words, saying, you can't come back. There's no going back. Just like you can't go back to October, you can't go back into the garden. You can only go ahead. But God really wants to be with his people. He wants to be connected. He wants to be reconciled. But he can't do it because he's holy and we're sinful. And you get together and we'd kind of be consumed. So God sends pictures. First in the tabernacle. So here's the tabernacle. Picture of God kind of in the middle, right? In the Holy of Holies. And then a whole bunch of barricades. And then we're kind of way out here. God wants to be with us, but we can't get too close. And and then the tabernacle goes away and the temple comes and it's the same thing. And God's kind of in the middle, a whole bunch of barricades and we're way over here and we can't get there. And that really brings us to, uh, to the remedy. See, unless you know something about the original design and unless you know something about the disruption of sin, you can't understand the significance of Christmas. Christmas is God taking the ultimate step to reconcile us with him, to renew our work, to bring our bodies back to his original intention and for community to be restored. And here's the amazing thing. Since God is sovereign, since God knows everything, and since God is loving, when he took the first step, he knew where that walk was going to lead. You ever uh, take a step and you're not quite sure where it's going to go and you wind up being surprised at the end? Let me tell you a, a hypothetical story that has no relationship to reality in any way. Suppose uh, someone in your family would like new kitchen cabinets. There's nothing really wrong with the old kitchen cabinets, but they're old kitchen cabinets, so we need some new kitchen cabinets. So you go and you price new kitchen cabinets and they cost a bump, but you've got a plan. You can paint the old kitchen cabinets and they'll look new. So the first step is you think you're getting off of, off of this deal, easy. So you paint, well you can't paint because you're not good at painting, so you have to hire a painter. And a painter comes in and paints the kitchen cabinets and they look great. But the problem is the old hardware doesn't match the new cabinets. So they have to buy new hardware that matches the cabinets. But then the countertops don't match the new hardware that don't match. So you have painted cabinets, you got the new hardware, and now you have to get new countertops. But then you put the new countertops in and the floor doesn't match that. So you got to rip the floor around. Now you're putting a new floor in. You had tile floor and underneath is all this board. And before you know it, so here's, if you ever need new kitchen cabinets, just move. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking. You see, we often take the first step on a journey without knowing where it's going to lead. And soon we scratch our heads and say, how in the world did we get here? God took the first step, knowing exactly where it would lead. And so when God promises to Adam and Eve at the end of Genesis 3, one day I will redeem you One day, the ultimate remedy will be applied. One day, the solution will come. He knew exactly where that promise was going to lead. That promise not only led to 
a Jewish teenager and a birth in a town called Bethlehem. But that journey led to a hill where there was a cross. And before that, there was slander and beating and spitting. And God took the first step, knowing exactly where it would lead. The remedy begins with a step. But if you don't know anything about the original design, and you know anything about the distortion that sin brings, Christmas will just be kind of a fun, sentimental thing. You get together and overeat with family. No, Christmas is a lot bigger than that. Christmas is the primary step in God bringing the remedy to the distortion that sin brings and will ultimately restore his original destination. That is what Christmas means. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that when you look down the corridors of history and when you made that promise about sending the remedy, you knew exactly where it would lead and you made that promise and took that first step anyway. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us before you take the last step in applying the remedy to partner with you, to partner with you by making wise body decisions. So we're living in sync with our bodies and other bodies the way that you want. And so that we're working with the right manager and the right boss. And so we're living in community, living out the plan that you have rather than the plan that we often have by default. And we're seeking to live in a reconciled relationship with you. And even though the practice of those disciplines may at times be frustrating, help us to practice anyway, knowing that the little tastes we get now will one day experience in full. And Lord, maybe one way you want us to take a step in that direction is to revisit those giving opportunities we talked about today. Say, so you know what? Rather than living according to the call of our culture and the values of our age, we're going to live counterculturally. Rather than Thanksgiving and Christmas and the holidays being about me, we're going to make them about you and make them about other people by putting some of what we have into play to continue what Jesus started. We pray in his name, the remedy. Amen.